Good morning, church. My pleasure to bring the Bible reading to you today. And the first reading is from Proverbs, and it's a long one, so sit back and relax. Uh, the sayings of Agur, son of J.K., an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One, who has gone up who sorry, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the, the name of his son? Surely you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. Do not slander a servant to their master or they will curse you and you will pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Those who are pure in their own eyes and are yet not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which says enough, which never says enough, sorry. The eye that mocks the father, that scorns an aged mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible woman who gets married, and a servant who displaces her mistress. Four things on earth are small, 
yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. There are three things that are stately in their stride, four that move with stately bearing. A lion mighty among beasts who retreats before nothing, a strutting rooster, a he-goat, and a king secure a king secure against revolt. If you play the fool and exhort yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning cream produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. And the second reading is from James, a nice short one. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thanks so much, John. Uh, And good morning again, everyone. I do apologise in advance, um, but I do need to leave straight after um, sharing God's word with you because um, I'm going to be going up to a similar special general meeting uh, up at the uh, Soldiers and Miners Memorial Church at Mount Kembla uh, as we draw those threads together. So do pray for those meetings. They're important. And um, here we are in the final in our series in Proverbs. Can you believe that we've just rocketed through Proverbs in five weeks? Uh, It's extraordinary, isn't it? The title of the series has been The World Wise Web. Why so? Well, back in the day in the 90s when the World Wide Web came into being, and some of you may remember those days when you type in www dot, and then you'd just be able to go into these extraordinary digital libraries all around the world. The World Wide Web is an information system that enables access to documents and web resources across the internet. It's huge. And uh, whilst in those days it was pretty ropey, the mechanisms and the means have developed, haven't they, over the years, such that today you can just take your phone out of your pocket and there you are patched in. In fact, this year, I think, has been a bit of a watershed because there are some new extraordinary AI, artificial intelligence programs. Has anybody come across ChatGPT yet? Okay, look up ChatGTP and it will blow your mind. I was almost tempted to say, write a sermon, ChatGTP, for Proverbs 30 in 2,000 words and see what it came up with, but I, I was sta- that, that's the sort of technology it is. It's extraordinary. And um, it's being banned at some universities. And why am I telling you this story? Because knowledge and access to knowledge and even the ability to pull together knowledge and create seemingly new knowledge seems to be outpacing our minds, don't you think? Like, once upon a time, the humble calculator 
now these machines in your hands that can change the world. It's incredible. And I think some of us can feel a little bit threatened. And as this AI continues to develop, I ask myself the question, should I be worried about this? And as I reflect on it, I think probably I don't need to be worried about it. There's always somebody who can have their finger on a button that could create the apocalypse, right? That's just the way it is. Tools can be used for good and tools can be used for evil, but there's always a limitation because human faculty for reason, the human attribute of experience, and the human repository of institutional libraries are always going to be limited. You see, human ability to apply knowledge, to gain understanding, to develop discernment, and to be wise is always flawed and sincere because you and I are broken people. We are broken and we are in need of help in getting a right calibration in all things. And so that is why we turn every week, every day to the word of God. And so I'm gonna ask God to help us as we go through this chapter today, which I have to say was no easy journey for me this week, and um, we're gonna need his help and we're gonna ask his spirit to teach us. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It reveals the meditations of our minds and the affections of our hearts so that everything is laid bare before you. And so we pray that that would be the case today for our good, for our growth, and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's a big idea today, it is this that we might be wedded to wisdom, that we would be wedded to wisdom. And I hope you'll see how this kind of theme will unfold as we go on this short journey together. So let's have a look. Verse one, uh, we have the Proverbs, the sayings of Agur. Um, When it comes to knowing and understanding and discerning and wisdoming, um, the intelligence of human beings and indeed even artificial intelligence, uh, is limited. Creaturely, human, AI, it's all limited. God himself has chosen to reveal things through his word in the Bible that we could never work out. Things in relation to our place in his world and things in relation to eternity and his kingdom. And I have to say, I've really enjoyed reading through Proverbs this month. Like Langdon, I've had a couple of skips, but I've caught up. And I've loved it. And in fact, this time I did it in the company of Eugene Peterson's The Message, which was a rip-roaring ride. But I have to uh, encourage you, if you haven't got onto that journey, do catch up. There's only two days left, aren't there, tomorrow and the day after. Uh, We're going to get a bit ahead of the curve. But what a wonderful thing it's been to do, because Proverbs is full of really good, wise words. Also some warnings. And sometimes it's clear, and I have to confess, sometimes it's opaque. And there's a lot of stuff in there I'm still quite muddled about, right? I hope you are too, otherwise I'm going to feel a bit foolish. Um, But I've noticed that with the wisdom of Proverbs, they often come in little couplets dancing together. Some of them are for comparison, some of them are for contrast, some of them are for clarification, and some of them are for compounding the ideas. And these final chapters, Proverbs 30 and 31, have two independent authors 
um, Argor and Lemuel. You remember last week, um, Steve gave us a really helpful insight um, into the Proverbs. He had an illustration of the shopping trolleys and uh, that big supermarket chain that will remain unnamed. If, if you imagine that throughout Proverbs, the supermarket chain kind of parallels to the wisdom of Solomon, because of course, a lot of the Proverbs are attributed to Solomon, and then Hezekiah appears to have coordinated Solomon's writings. Agur is rather like the IGA. He's your independent grocer down the road. He's like a bit of a one-off, but actually he's not that one-off because I hope we'll see that Argor's writings in chapter 30 and Lemuel's writings in chapter 31 kind of act as a sort of um, epilogue and a bookend to the ideas that are threaded through all of Proverbs. So verse 1 says this, the sayings of Argor, son of Jacob. And then in verse 1, have a look with me at your Bibles because they're all going to read differently. This man's utterance, this man's prophetic burden to... Ithiel, his friend, and Ukal. Or maybe your translation says, to Ithiel, I am weary, God, I'm weary, God, I'm exhausted. Or maybe your translation says, I'm not God, I'm not God, I shall prevail. Or maybe your translation says, my son, fear my words, repent when you get them. This is one of the strange things sometimes about translation of Hebrew, is that there could be multiple meanings. And so which one are we to choose? Well, I actually don't think it matters that much. Um, either way, Agur gives us clarity in many of the words that follow. Um, I think he probably lived in the same era as Solomon. We only learn about Agur from this one chapter in the Bible. We don't come across him apparently anywhere else, although there is one other word in 1 Samuel 2.36, Agora, which seems to be similar. And if you put the two words together, you have Agur, which means gatherer, and then you have Agora, which means hired for a role. So I kind of think he might be the guy who's been hired as a gatherer for God's wisdom. It's very clear from this that his utterance is prophetic, God-given words. So we're going to look at his confession, his requests, and his sayings. So verses 2 to 6, Argor's confession. And his confession is this. He is a meager man, but God is a great God. I don't know about you, but I do find that I don't always get the right calibration of myself and others. There are some times when I underbake myself, and I go, oh no, you know more than you thought. There's other times when I overbake myself, and I go, oh no, you don't know a thing, Robin. Duh. Do you find that? Maybe we do it with other people as well. We sometimes underinflate them, uh, or maybe overinflate them. Uh, but that's all right, because Agur says to us here, yeah, that's the way of people. He has a right, humble perspective on himself, and we would do well to confess with him when he says, verse 2, Surely I'm only a brute, not a man. I do not have even human understanding. I have not learned wisdom. Like, we've all got lessons to learn, right? And then he goes on to say, let alone human wisdom, I've not attained the knowledge of the Holy One. And there's something for me reminiscent of Job's perspective. You remember Job? God's servant really suffered in such a horrible variety of ways. And in the midst of all his suffering, he eventually calls out to God and he says, who am I? And God answers him and says, well, you're you, meager man, and I am God. And so comparing meager me and the great, gracious, glorious God whom we serve, we should neither on the one hand despair of our frailty, nor should we overinflate and delight in ourselves too much. 
And Agur here in verse four says, by comparison, meager man, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak and established all the ends of the earth? And you hear those words, and does it remind you a little bit of Genesis 1, that creation account? Does it remind you a little bit of Isaiah 40, that description of God's magnitude and grandeur? He says, surely you know what is his name and what is the name of his son? And whilst immediately for many of us our minds might go to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, let's just take a step back and think about Agur's context because to describe people as the sons of God was not unusual in his day. Very often kings and princes would call themselves sons of God. But I do think it's interesting that in the beginning of verse 4 he describes the one who has gone up into heaven and the one who has come down. And more profoundly I hear, yeah, that sounds like Jesus to me, the Son of God, who has indeed come down from heaven and who has indeed been ascended to the right hand of his Father. And so I think it's a really helpful reminder for us as we get into these words of Proverbs 30 that Jesus is the living word of God who fulfills every written word of God. That Jesus as both man and God fulfills all of God's promises completely. And so as we read in verse five and six, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. We have in mind that God's spoken word is fulfilled in the person of his living word, Jesus, his savior and king. In Hebrews 1, it's described for us that God spoke historically through the fathers and the prophets like Agur, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in the person of his son. And so as we approach these words, we always do so with, if you like, our gospel glasses on. And so Agur's proverbs, in summary of this little section, he, he writes to his friends, but it may very well that he's been weary and worn out. In fact, it might just be that he needed to alleviate the burden of sharing the prophetic word that God had given to him. He did not consider himself wise, but had a right, humble posture before God. He knew that God's word, verses five to six, were completely true and right. But for us, I think these words point us to the person of the Lord Jesus. And Agur's requests, verses seven to nine, and this is my third point, are for truth and thankfulness. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel that you have a balanced life? Balanced lifestyle? Balanced diet? Do you have a balance in the force? Once upon a time, a balanced life meant that you had your mental, physical, and spiritual kind of bits aligned nicely. But then every year, it seems to me, they, they keep adding a new category. So I have to have my emotional attribute in balance and my social one my environmental and financial and occupational and technological will it ever end I feel like there's plates but how can you balance with all those things going on but in verses seven to nine I think we're given a good balance in fact my wife Starry asked God early on in our relationship to bring balance to our life should we come together as husband and wife and uh, these verses summarize her prayers and I've increasingly over 20 years appreciated her prayers for us Two things I ask of you, Lord, verse seven. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Or I might have too much and disown you and say, who is my Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. 
There's balance and wisdom in those words, isn't there? Agur is saying that he wants God to remove lies and stealing, in verse 10, slander from him, that he would give him neither riches nor poverty in order that in that balanced space he would be able to be wholehearted with God. Have you ever noticed how when you're scratching around, you get this little temptation to kind of take what God hasn't given because you think your needs aren't being met? Have you ever had that? Or have you ever had a season in which you seem to have such an abundance that you sort of celebrate the abundance and, and, and kind of forget who's the provider of all those things? Have you ever had that? There's seasons in life, aren't there, where we polarize towards forgetting the Lord in our riches or dishonoring God in our lack of those things. But God wants Agur and us to remain wholehearted for his honor and his truth with thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul, you'll remember, wrote to the church in Philippi and said some ridiculous things. He said, I've learned the secret to contentment in every circumstance. And we go, really? Can a person say that? But he can. And his contentment is found in knowing Jesus, in knowing his Messiah and knowing his Savior, because the gospel is enough for him. And so he says, whether I'm in plenty or I'm in want, I can be wholehearted in the assurance of a future secure in the resurrected Savior in King Jesus now in heaven. And so with Paul and with Agur, we can say that God will provide according to our needs. Probably not your desires, but certainly according to our needs. We can say that when the truth seems to have been eclipsed and maybe others have lied about us, God will bring light upon those lies in due course and all will be revealed. And also that we can trust him as we're guided by his word to live honorably for his glory, even when sometimes we drop the ball or break the plates because we haven't got the balance right. We're always secure in Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to know that his immeasurable love to us in Jesus outweighs the burden of lies and stealing and slander or keeping up with the Joneses? We are secure in him. Truth and thanksgiving. Uh, fourthly and finally in this space, Argor's sayings from verses 11 to 31, providence not parasites, providence not parasites. Uh, when John was reading those verses for us, um, I have to say that uh, I've been reading this all week and I've been feeling quite overwhelmed. You know Forrest Gump? Anybody seen Forrest Gump? He has this saying where he says, my mom says that life's like a box of chocolates. You never know which one you're gonna get next. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you open up those boxes of chocolates, they all look the same, and you go, oh, no, that's mint, I didn't want that. Oh, no, you know, and sometimes you see them, all, they all look different, but then you go, but that's the same filling. Um, it's very clear to me that um, Forrest Gump did not have a box of Quality Street or a box of Roses, because if you open those up, there's a list there, and you can work out exactly what's what. But this is rather like these sayings. Agur's sayings here, I have to say, we're just, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and it was very hard to get a grip on some of them. So I hope, under God, this will be helpful for us. Um, he begins by saying that in verses 11 to 14, people have an overinflated sense of self-worth. There is a generation, he says, verse 11, there is a generation, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, that lives like, verse 15, a leech. Some years ago, I went camping with friends. We were packing up the tent, and right in the middle of the tent at the end, you guessed it, there was this big, fat 
bloated, blood-engorged leech. I'd never seen one before. It was just rocking there, full, unable to do anything. We were like, who was that from? Alan had been for a walk earlier in the morning. He had a little hole on his foot. It's like, oh, that's mine. Now, that leech, actually, we took it outside afterwards, and we made sure it exploded really well. If you don't know how to do that, throw rocks at bloated leeches. It's, uh, from a distance, it's great. Um, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Sewing ideas. Um, what was my point? Leeches. <laughs> leeches have a sense of entitlement. The daughter of leeches, we're told here, just go, give, give, give me, give me, such that they become so fat and full, they're just bloated. And Agur says that those who learn from parents who disciple according to God's word, verse 17, with God, know good limits. They know when to say, enough. The daughters of leeches do not. They're they're horrid man leeches, bloated, blood-sucking parasites. But rather, wisdom says, be content with God's provision. Those leeches are like those who say, give, give, give me. And Agur lists four things like leeches who never know to say enough. Uh, The grave, the barren womb, the land's insatiable need for water, and fire never know when enough is enough. God knows when enough is enough, and he has the wisdom here. And may it be that we as his people exercise restraint so that we would reject greed. The four ways that Agur lists here, of course you know that he says three, then four. Um, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> like, come and tell me afterwards if I've missed something. Uh, actually, there's five in this one, which confuses me even more. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on a seas, the way of a young man with a virgin, and the adulteress's way, which is where she says, I've done nothing wrong, is a clear contrast to those things that are righteous. I think God gives us here a sense of generosity in the first stanza, honoring righteousness in the next one, and to accelerate us through, there are honesty, verses 21 to 23, providence, verses 24 to 28, and the dignity that God gives us in being made in his image, verses 29 to 31. I think those are the themes, but again, why not take that away and wrestle with the scriptures as we think about that together. But I do want to pick up on that idea of dignity and say there's not only dignity for us in how we have been made in the image of God, but we have also been purchased by the blood of his son Jesus. Such is the greatness of our dignity as meager men and women. And this takes us through to the final idea I want to leave us with, that we would be wedded to wisdom Agur spoke of his burden. He declares God's wisdom greater than his own. He says, yes, we'll be subject to temptation materially, but let's keep working against that in God's strength. He will never understand fully in this lifetime, but that's okay because God's got it. And then he says there's an opportunity to avoid foolishness, but rather to live according to wisdom in the areas like generosity, righteousness, honesty, faith, and dignity. And then finally, he condemns selfish pride and provocation, verses 32 and 33. As a churning milk produces butter, because right, it does. As twisting the nose produces blood, he's right, it does. 
I said, like, I've done that. I haven't done that. <laughs> but I have sadly made contact with people's noses and have my contact, my nose contact, and it does bleed quite easily. Have you noticed that? Anyway, um, arrogance in provoking someone to anger is unwise. Why does he finish here? I'm going to jump us now to Proverbs 31 and look at um, Lemuel, who I think reinforces some of um, Agur's sayings. But he's got threads of his own that go into the remainder of Proverbs. His name simply means God is with him. And verses 1 to 9 with Lemuel are all about his mother's teaching for someone who is the prince, the son of a king, which is basically avoid wayward women and don't get sucked into strong wine. Why? Because your judgment will go. Uh, We've seen that in kings of the history, and we, we know it in people's lives around us, and perhaps we've seen it in our own lives. She warns him in this way, but then also there's a connection here Uh, in focusing not on strife and anger, but rather, 8 and 9 of chapter 31, to focus on the needy and the vulnerable. I'm going to align this with what James says in that passage, because James says, verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless, for he deceives himself. Pure, undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. As you draw those threads together of Argur and Lemuel and James, it seems to me that the theme is this, conflict and a preoccupation with conflict steals time from caring. And brothers and sisters, the most significant conflict you and I had was with God, where he was pouring his wrath out upon us. But the Lord Jesus stepped in and took his wrath upon himself on the cross that we might go free, not so that we might be in conflict with one another, but rather so that we might be freed from the burden to focus on the needs of others and to be a blessing both in being unstained by the world and in caring for those who are needy and vulnerable. Not driving our teeth in, because the world does that all the time. And so I want to take us from that thought into the final verses of chapter uh, uh, 31, uh, 10 to 31, which is actually a, a Hebrew acrostic poem across those verses. All the letters of the Hebrew alphabet start each idea. It's a very beautiful, well-structured poem about a wife of noble character. And the idea I want to draw out of this is this. I think it is that the Proverbs in our context suggest we're better to be wedded to wisdom than to folly. The book of Proverbs is a wedding brewing Now, I've got so into this (laughs) last week or so that I ended up writing another talk as well because it was the talk I wanted to share with you. But this is, I'm doing Proverbs 30, so I'm sharing a talk from Proverbs 30. But what's amazing is these women in Proverbs, the worldly woman and the wise woman. And in chapter 9, they're revealed to us in depth that there is the personification of wisdom and the personification of folly. And the wise woman in the first six verses of chapter 9 built her house, made her dinner, and gives insight. Whereas the foolish woman, the worldly woman, verses 13 to 18, knows nothing, stole bread, and is a transient wisp. But right in the center of all that, guess what there is? 
fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And so the challenge for the reader throughout Proverbs, it seems to me, is with whom will we be wedded? Wisdom or folly? Now these themes lace Proverbs to ensure that the reader chooses the right woman, that we find wisdom in life choosing the right spouse for all of us. I'm speaking to you if you're married. I'm speaking to you if you're single. I'm speaking to you if you have been married because you're part of a larger bride, right? Because we are the church of Christ. We are the woman to whom the Son of God, the bridegroom, is and will be finally wedded and consummated. This is the great marriage. Revelation 21, there is a groom who is waiting for us and will come and be married to us for all eternity. And he wants us ready and he wants us to be wise now so that we stay unstained from the pollution of the world but increase in purity and preparation for his, so to speak, marriage bed. Because his spirit is in us and wisdom is in us. We have the very presence of God amongst us and he's preparing us for his marriage at the end of time and says to us in preparation, be wedded to wisdom. What greater motivation is there for all these words in Proverbs than to know that Jesus is making us ready for him? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, may we rest in the profound privilege it is to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know for some of us blokes it's a bit weird to be a wedded woman, but actually it's good and right that we think this way in terms of our purity to be prepared for our Lord and leash, for a, a, a wife to be prepared for a husband, for the church to be prepared for Christ. This is good and right, and so you are preparing us through these words of wisdom. May we cling to them and be wedded to wisdom that you would increasingly make us more like Jesus, that we might be prepared to meet him face to face and bring glory to you in this world. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you.